From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for tuning in. Always great to have you along. All right, coming up on this Tuesday edition, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was on Capitol Hill earlier today testifying before the House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party and on the need for the U.S. to become more aggressive in countering China's evil agenda. If we don't hold the CCP at risk, if we simply play defense economically, defense diplomatically, we allow a spy balloon to travel over our country for five days and then hold a press conference announcing what brilliance it was to fire shoot it down over South Carolina. Right? That, that Xi Jinping gets that he's on offense, we're on defense, and that is not a good place for the United States to be. We'll talk with North Dakota Senator Kevin Kramer. We'll also get an update on the border budget battle that is playing out on Capitol Hill this week. Also on Capitol Hill today, the House Foreign Affairs Committee held a hearing on the U.N. Relief Agency, UNRWA, and how at least a dozen U.N. employees participated in or aided in the October 7th attack on Israel. Make no mistake, the attacks on October 7th did not happen in a vacuum. The sickness on display from UNRWA is rooted in something deeper within its structure and mission. It's rooted in the double standard the world applies for them, from their definition of refugee to the hatred they teach to Palestinian children from UNRWA schools. That was Florida Congressman Brian Mast. Seven of the identified terrorists were also teachers at UNRWA schools. Now, this is a U.N. agency funded with your tax dollars. Eight countries are now withholding aid payments to UNRWA due to these revelations. Congressman Scott Perry, a member of the Foreign Affairs Committee, will join us later here on Washington Watch. And Minnesota Congresswoman Ilhan Omar is facing calls for her to resign from Congress after remarks she made over the weekend in her native tongue, where she reportedly said she was a Somali first, a Muslim second, and then a an American. Now, in full disclosure, there are conflicting interpretations of what she said. But that fact uh, should raise questions uh, on its own. I mean, the fact that you have to translate what a member of Congress says in her own district into the English language, I think that's a problem. We're going to explore the topic with former, former House White House attorney Ken Klukowski. And finally, tomorrow is the National Gathering for Prayer and Repentance. My good friend, Pastor Jack Hibbs of Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, will be joining us tomorrow morning at the Museum of the Bible. But he's also going to join us this evening as well, later, here on Washington Watch. Our word for today comes from Job chapter 31. Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my mark. Oh, that the Almighty would answer me that my prosecutor had written a book. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder and bind it on me like a crown. You see, Job was a good man, but he was not good enough. He lived by a very high standard, but there was something missing, and I think we see it here. While there had been rumblings of brokenness in the story of Job, he had held on to his righteousness and defended himself, declaring that he would argue his case in the very presence of God. Job was confident in his goodness, and therein reveals Job's problem. That's not what God is looking for. This is what God is looking for. In Psalm 34, it says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. For more on our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org Bible. 
The deadly drone attack on U.S. service members in the Middle East last week provides a stark reminder that Iran, who backed this and other attacks by proxy terrorist groups throughout the region, receives much of its funding from selling oil to, guess who? The Chinese Communist Party. In addition to purchasing Iranian oil, the Chinese Communist Party stands as a banker and supplier for Russia's war on Ukraine and leads an axis of rogue authoritarians that include terrorists of Hamas. Now, earlier today, the House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party held a hearing to investigate the CCP's support for America's adversaries. And we've seen legislation introduced in the Senate to hold China and Iran accountable for ties to terrorist groups. Joining me now to discuss this is Senator Kevin Kramer, who co-introduced this legislation. He serves on four Senate committees, including the Senate Armed Services Committee and the Senate Banking Committee. He represents the state of North Dakota. Senator Kramer, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to see you. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity, Tony. So a deadly attack on U.S. service members funded by Iran who skirts Western sanctions by selling oil to China. And and we want to play friendly with China. Well, exactly right. Not to mention play friendly with Iran. I mean, the fact that that they're able to sell Iranian oil to China, uh, kind of on the black market, Tony, they, they do this thing where they sell to these We're called um, teapot refineries, which are sort of off the grid, but not really off the grid. And we look the other way. This is all part of, like you said, playing nice. But we're playing nice with two enemies when we could be sanctioning, should be sanctioning that oil like Donald Trump did. We should be protecting that oil from even getting, you know, getting to China. We need to be much more assertive about our economic sanctions, oil sanctions, uh, the, the, the trade between these, these enemy countries, and, uh, and make it darn hard on them to, uh, to collaborate with one another and to fund their terror. And at the same time, Tony, places like North Dakota and Texas and Oklahoma and a whole bunch of other places, Alaska, have plenty of clean oil that is, that is produced by good people, free people, that they're happy to sell um, around the world and, and not fund terrorism with it. An extremely important point, because that puts Americans to work uh, with good-paying jobs. I worked in the oil field for Louisiana is well-known for its work in the oil yes, business. It is. Yes, it is. So, so, I mean, Senator, let me ask you this question, because right now um, there is a bill in the Senate. There's this debate over border provisions being in this supplemental uh, spending bill that would provide funding for Ukraine. But if you step back and, and, and you, you know, you connect all the dots, here we are wanting Americans to, to, to pony up with more tax dollars to fund the war in Ukraine that in many ways we're facilitating by not cracking down on the people who are funding Russia. No, so you're, you're so right on point. The peaceful tools of energy development, the peaceful tools of, of using our strong dollar and banking system uh, sanctions, the, the, the peaceful tool of of alliances could have prevented a lot of this stuff. Let's not forget, it was the weakness and is the weakness that Donald Trump projects, like with the Afghan withdrawal, obviously, as I said, playing footsie with Iran as soon as he gets into power. Uh, None of these weaknesses um, de-escalate anything. It just empowers, emboldens our enemies. So they start using weapons. I mean, Vladimir, uh, Vladimir Putin on day one, 
use natural gas as a weapon in the war against Ukraine. I talked to the president about it beforehand, saying do not green light the Nord Stream 2 natural gas pipeline. It gives him a weapon. And, of course, I lost that fight, and um, and now we're at war. So you're right. There are lots of economic and geopolitical advantages the United States has if we just use those tools. But our problem, Tony, is there are so many people on the left that rather export their cl- what they consider climate guilt to polluting countries than take right. advantage of the fact that we do it better than anybody. Well, and, and again, I'm, I'm looking, and I know as you do, the average American family, right. instead of instead of having to pay more of their, uh, you know, inflation eaten up income, they could have good paying jobs when we're developing our energy sector like we did, you know, three years ago That's when right. we were an exporter of energy. And not only that, Tony, but when we're producing more, global prices come down. I, I mean, so it's that, there's even that advantage that, that the input cost in our gas tanks here at home actually goes down because we're producing more to sell to other countries. So, again, trade is a lot better tool. Now, that said, there's a war, you know, an unjust war, uh, where Vladimir Putin and Russia has, has attacked our friends, Ukraine. And we've had to, you know, we put some some resources toward that, of course, understandably. And I think we could do some more, but I think we've got to be more honest with the American public. I don't think we should be funding their government. I don't think we should be funding, you know, even humanitarian aid. I think that's largely a, a European responsibility. I'd rather have Ukraine fighting and and diminishing the, the uh, Putin military than our boys and girls right. doing it, obviously. Right. But but here we find ourselves in all these squabbles around the, the world. World, all because we project weakness in the yes. first place, Tony. All of it's preventable. Right. It, it, and exactly the point. It, it, it's fine. We want to help out those who are fighting for freedom. No question about it. But our policy has to be consistent so that we're not aiding the very enemies that we're fighting proxies from. And, exactly and that's right. what we have with Iran, and that's what we have with Russia. I mean, and I, I would go a step further, and I know you're very tough on, on China tracking this very closely, but many U.S. companies are investing in Chinese technology, and, and they're aiding the CCP. Tony, the fact that we haven't learned this lesson yet is shame on us. I mean, the, you know, decades ago when, when we let China into WTO and gave them favored nation status, okay, that happened with the hope that they'd become more like us. Well, all they've done is exploited us with, with that, our own weakness. But the fact that Wall Street and, and, and our own corporate citizens are still drawn to that incredible market because they love the cash more than anything, or the fact that we still import cheap stuff from China that is that is made with slave labor in some cases, certainly unfair labor, labor certainly unfair conditions, certainly much more um, polluting uh, factories, it, it, all so that they can so that we become dependent on them. The fact that we still allow it at all is mind-numbing to me, and we've got to do a lot more. And, and, and my concern is that as we facilitate that, we're going to see more countries taking a similar approach. I'm very concerned about India and what we see happening there because we're rewarding it with trade and with investments. Now, you have legislation that you've introduced to hold China and Iran accountable. We just have a couple minutes left. Tell us about that legislation. Well, so, so a lot of this focuses on the very things you and I are talking about, holding them accountable by 
putting the sanctions on, putting secondary sanctions on. Uh, I think we need to do a better job of defending ourselves in some respects as well. Uh, I mean, I've had this legislation that some are calling a a, uh, a carbon tax when it's exactly the opposite. It prohibits a carbon tax, but it allows us to to define in our terms our exceptionalism and use our exceptionalism in manufacturing as a as a defensive tool to save even to our friends, our trading partners in, in Europe. You can't tax us any more than we're already taxing ourselves with our with our environmental compliance um, laws and regulations. And if you do, um, we're, here's the data to demonstrate that that we're the cleanest in the world. We just need to get a lot more aggressive with our trade policy. Donald Trump has always had it right when he says America first, America first, America first. That's not America only. But we should be doing geopolitics and, and international trade based on our terms right. as the largest economy in the world, not on everybody else's turn. Yeah, great point. Uh, Senator, got uh, like 20 seconds left. Will we see a uh, supplemental budget and border provision emerge from the Senate this week? You know, I <laughs> well, every week we say next week, right? Um, I, I'm not sure, Tony. We'll know more after tomorrow to see how far they've come and how much agreement there is. The biggest challenge we have, of course, is even if we got something that got, say, 70, 75 votes here in the Senate, um, it, the House is going to be really, really tough. So we, we're going to have to have a lot of time to review this, the, um, the legislation once we actually have text. That's, a, as you know, been a frustration, right. understandably, right. for a lot of people. And it's not the kind of thing you can have you know, turn around in 24 or 48 hours and be fair to the American people. But it's it's possible, it's doable, but not likely. Um, not likely in my All opinion. right. Senator Kramer, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Always my pleasure. Thanks, Tony. All right. Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota, which I'm going to visit later this year for the first time. All right. Coming up, we're going to talk about UNRWA and uh, the United Nations and funding terrorists. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. 
You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch uh, border, border issue. We uh, mentioned it briefly with Senator Kramer, but if you want to weigh in on that issue, text BORDER to 67742. We've got a petition we're going to deliver to the House leadership on this to stand firm on the border. All right, last week, uh, Israeli intelligence revealed that at least 13 employees of UNRWA, the United Nations Relief Agency in Gaza, were involved with the October 7th attack on Israel by Hamas. Now, we actually, uh, back in November, talked about this because there was some evidence emerging then. Well, the UNRWA employees held roles in Hamas that included kidnapping hostages and taking part in a massacre where 97 people died. Now, in light of this discovery, two subcommittees of the House Foreign Affairs Committee held a joint hearing earlier today to examine the mission and the failures of UNRWA. Now, this is we, we've talked about this quite frequently on this program over the years, uh, going back uh, to when I, I took uh, one of the first groups of uh, congressmen over to the West Bank in Israel, and we got a briefing from the Pal- uh, on the Palestinian Authority by Palestinian Watch and how children were being indoctrinated. Now, that was 13 years ago. I'm just wondering if any of those children indoctrinated back then by UNRWA, the United Nations Relief Agency that also had schools, if any of those kids grew up to be the terrorists who were a part of these October 7th attacks. Joining me now to discuss this, Congressman Scott Perry. He serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, House Oversight and Accountability Committee, and the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. He represents the 10th Congressional District of Pennsylvania, and he is a retired general from the United States Army, the National Guard of Pennsylvania. Congressman Perry, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you. Well, it's great to be with you, Tony. And, of course, um, it seems like that hearing today to discuss the failures of the United Nations Relief and Works Agency would be a no-brainer. But some people were trying to walk a fine line, parse their words. Let's be clear, and I let everybody in the room know in case they were wondering, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, sponsored uh, by the United States of America and many countries, is supporting terrorism. Unfortunately, unwittingly, your tax dollars are paying for the terrorism that you saw on October 7th. And people say, well, uh, not directly. We're buying food. We're buying water. We're paying for electricity. We're paying for housing. But, Tony, when they use the money that we give them uh, to, to, uh, to, to line a tunnel 
with cement and then electrify it, and that tunnel is used to attack Israel, then unfortunately, your money's being used to uh, to commit terroristic acts. And and we tried uh, last fall in September to it was literally my amendment to um, defund the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, UNRWA, as it's called. And we missed that by about five votes. Unfortunately, every single almost every single Democrat voted against that amendment. And there were a handful of Republicans that voted against that amendment. Otherwise, your tax dollars would no longer go there. And and one of the things that is often said, and you'll see it in this hearing, is there's no alternative. Well, there's not going to be an alternative unless we stop paying this one, for sure. One of the witnesses said, well, we need to keep paying for this until we make an assessment. Tony, this is an assessment that's been going on for decades and decades and decades. And what you have is literally what would be a two-state solution where Israel's here, Gaza's there, two different states, and one continues to attack the other. I'm just saying that the United States taxpayer shouldn't be should not be involved in paying for that. And you've been sounding the alarm on this for years on Capitol Hill. So this is not new for you. But with the information that came forth by the Israeli intelligence agencies of the disclosures they made, were you surprised at all? No, not surprised. That what was surprising to me is is that other people in Washington, DC, and certainly on this committee act as though they're right, surprised right. because many of us have been ringing the alarm bell for years and years and years. Um, and so that's what's surprising, not the fact that people that literally are working for this relief agency were also the perpetrators of mass atrocities. That's that, that's widely known, unfortunately. So, Congressman Perry, you, you mentioned you have some colleagues saying, well, we've we got to keep funding them because who else is there to do this? Um, last time I checked, the USAID, uh, you know, the United States has an aid organization where we we give away billions of dollars in foreign aid for these types of humanitarian projects. Why don't we do it ourselves instead of allowing the United Nations, who we should be sus looking at with suspicion anyway, why should we give them the money? Well, I'm going to take it a step further, but I do want to engage in that a little bit. There's the U.N. Commissioner, High Commissioner for Refugees, for refugees around the world. Uh, UNRWA just supports this, this portion of Gaza and the West Bank, essentially right next to Israel there. That's all it does. Me, and it gets billions upon billions of dollars. Meanwhile, the U.N. High Commissioner for Refugees gets a very small fraction of that's, that money to, to deal with refugees around the globe. But I would say this, since 1948, the United States of America has been paying the lion's share of this. And at some point, you have to say to yourself, hold on a second here. Why does this continue to be the requirement and the responsibility of the United States of America? And while we know that there are people that live in Gaza that don't support Hamas, there are people that, uh, that Hamas has executed for collaborating with the Jews and so on and so forth and that there are people there that uh, they should have food and water and shelter and so on and so forth. Why aren't the Arab countries in the, yeah. in the region, why aren't they supplying that? The United States has—we've we, got our own border issues, our own national security issues to deal with, and, and we've got $34 trillion in debt. We'll be $35 trillion by May. We simply don't have the money to keep paying for this, Tony. And while we all feel sorry for the horrific atrocities— um, that, that have shocked our conscience on both sides of this equation. It is not the responsibility of the United States taxpayer to pay for this 
forever. Fair, fair enough. Um, you're absolutely right. I mean, the Biden administration, the Trump administration cut them off because of their right. corrupt activities. The Biden administration not only gave, you know, turned the spigot back on, but it gave them more money, $730 million in last year. So you're absolutely right. We, we can't solve all the world's problems. My point is, at least don't give it to a corrupt organization. Oh, for sure. For sure. And, you know, the the uh, the relief agency doesn't have a board. There's nobody held accountable. Literally, we give the money to them. They hand it to Hamas, Hamas or Islamic Jihad or somebody right. like that. And then it's, and then they use the money for whatever they it's want. Foolish. It is, it's ridiculous. It yes. is. Congressman, always great to see you. Appreciate your great work on Capitol Hill. Thank you, Tony. God bless you and your audience. All right. Congressman Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, former chairman of the House Freedom Caucus. All right. Stay tuned for more Washington Watch after the break. Did a member of Congress let her devotion to a foreign power usurp her oath of office? We're going to talk about that after the break. Don't go away. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. Be sure and invite a friend to tune in to Washington Watch. They can catch it on uh, many of the 800 stations that we're on, but they also watch it on TV. Also, go to TonyPerkins.com. And tomorrow, we'll talk more about this in the next segment when uh, Pastor Jack Hibb joins me. But we've got our national gathering for prayer and repentance. And you can be a part of that. Simply text the word prayer to 67742. That's prayer to 67742. And I'll tell you how. All right. So following a speech in which Minnesota Congresswoman Ilhan Omar 
seem to place the interests of Somalia above those of the United States. Some Republicans have called for Omar's resignation, noting that her speech emphasized the need to protect the borders of Somalia, which she referred to as our land. Now, this was in her district. This was in the state of Minnesota. Uh, the problem was that she was not speaking English. She was speaking in her native tongue. And so she has disputed the translation of the speech, but she did repost a translation that quoted her as saying, while I am in Congress, no one will take Somalia's seas and our land will not be balkanized. Now, I would think that she's, since she's in America and she's a member of Congress, our land would be like our land, not Somalia's land. Um, this raises a lot of questions. Joining me now to, to discuss this is Ken Kulkowski, former senior counsel in the Civil Rights Division of the U.S. Department of Justice and a former special counsel in the White House's Office of Management and Budget. He has litigated constitutional cases before the U.S. Supreme Court. He joins us by phone. Ken, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me, Tony. So, Ken, I, I, I want to give. I want to be very clear about this. I, 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 I you know, I speak English, okay, and so I, I cannot interpret uh, her uh, speech that she made to. Somalis in Minnesota in her native language. So uh, I'm going to, you know, she's disputing the translation, so I'm I'm not going to press that too hard. But I think that in itself is a question that, you know, here we have a member of Congress that we have to try to interpret her speech into English, translate her speech into English to know what she was saying. Yeah, Tony, I appreciate the balanced way with which you're addressing that. Uh, I, too, note, noticed uh, as I was preparing for this segment that, of course, everything I'm reading is an English translation uh, of these remarks said in a foreign language. Uh, and so, you know, you always, when you're trying to be objective and you're trying to be fair, you know, you're, you're always trying to keep in mind, okay, how much of a spin on the ball might, might I be dealing with here? And so I'm, I'm so grateful that you framed it that way because we want to be fair to everyone, including people that we disagree with. The general tenor, unless it was the grossest of mistranslation, unless it is just deliberate deception, and we haven't seen any, any you know, proffered, other translation that would be fundamentally different from what we've all been reading. She was speaking of herself, it appears, as a Somali more than an American. Uh, and, and I think that, that, that is, that's disturbing in that, first of all, on, on two counts, first of all, she became an American citizen in the year 2000. As part of her oath of citizenship, as someone who was not born here, she has to take an oath and go through a process to become an American. And in that oath, she swore that she would reject all foreign allegiances and that she would give her allegiance first and foremost to the United States of America, that that would be her country now, even against her former country if necessary. Of course, you, you always hope that's not the case, but that's part of the citizenship oath, is you're saying if America actually goes into conflict with the land I, I came from, I will stand with right. America against the land I was born in. And so that is the baseline. And then on top of that, she then took an oath of office right. 
to support and defend the Constitution of the United States, which charges her to be a representative of the hundreds of thousands of people in her district of Minnesota, not any particular religious or ethnic group, whether from Somalia or anywhere else. Her job is to represent the people of her district in the United States House of Representatives and no one else. Right. She pledges allegiance to that, uh, to, to bear truth and allegiance to, to, to the Constitution and to the United States. So. The, the fact that she would be talking in, in, in fact, one, to paraphrase one translation of this, is that she basically said she would be working for the interest of Somalia in the Congress. I mean, that is that not a, a, a violation of the oath of office? That is frightening, and that certainly is. And this is where, again, we say with the caveat that it was spoken in a language that I don't speak and you don't speak. But, you know, um, unless the English translations that we've all been reading, unless they are nothing short of propaganda and totally divorced from from the from the actual language that was used, then unless that is the case, and one would think if that were the case, that stories would have come out yeah. to that effect, saying, you know, they say these words mean this, they mean something totally different. Right. With that caveat... Absolutely. It is. So, I mean, this was this was a very disturbing sentiment that she expressed, even if one or two words got garbled in right. translation. Um, yeah. And, and Ken, to me, it, it speaks to how our immigration, both legal and illegal immigration systems are broken because it was supposed to become a, a people want to become a part of the American family, not tear it apart. Ken Kukowski, we're out of time. Always uh, appreciate your insights on these issues. Thank you, Tony. You know, folks, I mean, it really does. It, it, it speaks to how broken our system really is. I mean, people, I want people to come here legally, but I want them to be a part of America, not tear it apart. All right, stick around. Pastor Jack Hibbs joins me after the break here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, 
and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right. America is being invaded through our southern border. We've been talking about that. And we have elected members of Congress pledging their allegiance to a foreign nation. We have an administration that has made killing the unborn their top priority. The way that we are going to ultimately deal with this is to... One, have some consensus, which I do believe exists, which is that one does not have to abandon their faith or deeply held beliefs to agree the government should not be telling her what to do with her body. So that was Vice President Kakala Harris on her reproductive freedom tour in California, basically saying, oh, you, you can follow God and championing, champion the unborn, killing of the unborn. It's incredible. This is the number one priority of this administration as they've launched their re-election tour. She also said this. Joe Biden has been very clear when Congress puts back in place the rights that the court took away, he will sign it into law. He will sign into law the protections of Roe v. Wade. So what is she saying? She's saying if they get the opportunity, they will eradicate every pro-life law in the nation and make abortion till the moment of birth the law of the land. That is what they're campaigning on. That is their top priority. So when you consider all of these things, this is why, in large part, that I've joined with Dr. Jim Garlow and others to host a national gathering for prayer and repentance that's taking place tomorrow right here in our nation's capital at the Bible Museum. And you can participate. You can be a part of it. Might not be able to get here, but it will be streaming online beginning at 7.30 a.m. Eastern time tomorrow. To find out more, text PRAYER to 67742. That's PRAYER to 67742 or just go to Pray DC. Org. Join me now in studio to discuss this and much, much more. 
is my battle buddy, Pastor Jack Hibbs. He's a senior pastor and founding pastor of Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills in Southern California. Pastor Jack, welcome to Washington Watch. Tony, it's good to be with you again. It's good to see you in, uh, in D.C. Now, actually, today you opened Congress in prayer. Yeah, I was honored uh, to experience that uh, at the request of our House Speaker, uh, Mike Johnson. And so, great opportunity, as always. And you know, Tony, when you're faced or given that opportunity, the, the thought of what has gone on over the years in that chamber and regarding this nation, it's a very, very humbling experience. And you want to also make your prayer one that is not generic so, you know, you try to take that limitation that they give you of both words and time and make it as biblically appealing Pretty to short. God's heart Pretty short. as possible. But we stand at a very critical point. You know, I was just talking about, you know, our border. You're from California. Yeah. You see this. We've been down there together. Yeah, we've actually been to the border together. Um, you look at what the division in our country. You look at the economy. I mean, there's, there's hardly any place you could look that you're not seeing warning signs. Yeah, right. Where are we spiritually? Uh, you've asked a direct question. I'm going to give you a direct answer. I think I think America spiritually is, is dead. You say that's a strong thing to say. I think there's pockets of life. I, I certainly pastor a church. You've been there where there's pockets of life. You get to visit some uh, wonderful churches where there's pockets of life. But have those pockets of life of these churches affected the community and the state in which they reside enough to make a difference. And I'm not talking about bringing in the kingdom on Air Force One. Right, right, right. I'm talking about living righteously as we have been commanded. Salt and light. Salt and light. Tony, I don't see it. Um, uh, if we're going to see revival, this means that the Christian's going to have to own their sin. It's wrong for us to chew on Joe Biden or Barack Obama or Chuck Schumer or anybody else. We need to actually take a look at ourselves as believers. And if we saw the biblical reason why Christ died for our sins and rose again from the dead, if we were reminded of that, we'd fall on our face. I think that's the only hope for our nation is for God's people to actually see themselves in the sense of what Christ has delivered us from. We are, we are his people. We're washing the blood of the Lamb. But we have forgotten, and this nation has forgotten, and I got to throw myself under the bus on this one. It's the pastors of America that have been silent, that have then produced silent sheep. And so we are seeing California invaded. I just showed a video to our entire church last Sunday of a real-life invasion uh, of, of uh, illegal aliens coming onto the shores of La Jolla, California, and nobody did a thing about it. The Navy, the Coast Guard, the local law enforcement, not even the citizens. They simply pulled out their phone and video recorded an invasion as though it were a video game. Right. We are desensitized. We want to be comfortable. And I, I'm a, Tony, we're going to have to get desperate. Now, God has certainly God has in his toolbox the way to wake up his people. Right. That, that's what may be happening for us to to come around. But the Lord is, he is long-suffering. He yes. desires for people to, to turn to him. And it's not too late for America to do so. And I think if we could do it voluntarily, <laughs> I mean, I've, always, I've learned the hard way yeah. that when, you know, when, when God clears his throat, I'm responding. Mm -hmm. Because I've been through that breaking process before yes, when sir. he had to bring me around personally and, and I it's not a comfortable place to be right 
Now, you're better on the other side of it because God always works in our lives to improve us, mm-hmm. to refine us, unless, of course, we've chosen a path of sin, and, and, and but punishment is yet to come. This is about our correction. It's about oh, our yeah. instruction. But if we can do this voluntarily, mm-hmm. and that's what tomorrow is about, that's why you're here in D.C., yeah. to be a part of tomorrow's event, right. to pray and repent. And we've got 32 countries represented. I, I am encouraged yes. that after we did last year, that people, you know, we, we actually saw pockets of revival around the country after we did the event last year, but it also got the attention of the rest of the world, a large part mm-hmm. of the of the world. I actually think there are believers in other parts of the world that are m- more prepped mm-hmm. for a move of God than we are. To that, I must say, and you, 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 I think you know what I'm about to say. People have written California off for a zillion reasons. I get it. But when you get outside of those power pockets of Los Angeles and Sacramento and San Francisco, people are pretty shocked to find out that the general population of California are people who want freedom. They love the Constitution. They love to worship the Lord. Some of America's largest churches are in California. I know, I know. Okay? And so yeah. uh, for the church that I pastor, Tony, you know that we do voter registration 52 weeks it's, a year. It's, a, it's, it's, it's like an oasis. It is. It's a bubble in the midst of craziness. But the, but the point is this. Uh, yes, as long as we're drawing breath, there's hope. 100%. And God is waiting for us. My question, and I think that's what you're asking, is what is it going to take for us to right. cry out? That's what we must see. What's it going to take? Voluntarily, Tony, would be like you saying to Luana while watching the Super Bowl, honey, I love you. Same with Lisa. Right in the middle of the Super Bowl. Well, America needs to be away from its distractions to turn to God and say, I love you, God. And as a believer, I'm seeking your face in light of all of the toys and the distractions. Turning the TV off. Turning the TV off and saying, Lord, I'm going to seek you first and all other things shall be added to us. So let me ask you this, Pastor Jack. Um, what, what three things rise to the top of the list as we go into this day tomorrow of prayer and repentance? What, ha- what are those three things that you would say are at the top of the list that have replaced God in America, that, that the, the church, I'm not talking about outside the church, I'm talking about believers, that you believe we need to, to, to repent from? I think the number one thing among believers is, number one, comfort. We'll do anything to be comfortable and maintain our comfort. That's, that's tragic. The other thing is this, is if we hear a message or a sermon that uh, pricks our hearts and convicts us. We mistaken that as a Christian culture as uh, something I shouldn't have heard. So I'm going to move on to the next church, perhaps. I'm going to find a a, a message that might tickle, you know, because my ears might be itching. Uh, And then the the final thing is personal responsibility uh, right there in your own home. If you think about it, the condition of our nation, Tony, is actually mirroring the condition of the American home, for that matter, the Christian home in America. Uh, We've got to get away from this Sunday morning appearance and have it every moment of the week in our home. That that is so good because I think that is so true. In fact, i I got to share this quick story. I was in a a, a Walmart with my wife, which I avoid Walmart usually (laughs) like the plague, but we had to get something. So we run in, and and, and usually I run into a lot of people, so I'm I'm there a long time talking to people. But 
we went to the back of the store, was getting something, and I saw this mother that had like four small children. She sing, looked like a single mother, and the, there was no father oh, there. Uh, it, was, it was a young black girl, and she had these uh, four uh, children, three girls and one boy who looked like he was about four or five. Mm. And you know how kids are. They don't get what they want, so they start pouting, stomping their feet. And she, uh, she, she, I don't remember what the name was, but she called him, and he still was resistant. And she looked at him, and she said, where is your self-government? And I was, like, shocked. I am impressed. I was, too. I stopped, and I took note of that, because that is where government begins. It is self-government. Oh. And when, when we have mothers teaching their children to exercise self-government, that's when all of the pieces fall into place. That is a that is a, a drink of cold water. That is refreshing to hear because that very worldview, Tony, you know this better, that very worldview that she's communicating to that little boy is exactly the opposite of what a Marxist socialist system wants to create, where they want you to be governed by the state. Right. You, In fact, you don't even know how to cross the street, so the state's going to help you do that. You know, you don't need to go to work. We'll pay you. So to your point, yeah. how do we counter that Marxist ideology that's invading our country today? We exercise the self-government. We teach our children to counter evil with good. Take them to the scriptures. And I mean this. You say, well, Jack, what am I going to give my, my nine-year-old a sermon at night? No, listen, you can take five minutes of making the Bible come alive, mom and dad, and communicating biblical worldview values to your kid now. Anywhere, everywhere. Driving everywhere. down the street, we have these conversations. Absolutely. I mean, there are an abundance of opportunities to have that Always. conversation, but it begins in the home. All right, very quickly, Pastor Jack, before we run out of time. By the way, folks, you can join Pastor Jack, myself, and others tomorrow morning. Uh, go to uh, PrayDC.org. You can register. You can watch online. Um, three things that you see happening that show and reveal that God is working in our midst. Um, Less than 24 hours ago, uh, 37 people coming to Christ at church after the Sunday sermon. Okay, that uh, young people, so many young families and young people and, and young men and women saying, we want to get married. We see what the Bible says. We want to have a family. We want to do what's right. So I see an awakening. I don't know to what level yet, Tony, but we're seeing the opening throes of an awakening spiritually. In California, at least. Um, I, well, you, you go on with another point, because I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Yeah. The other point is the, the desire to return to the Word of God, the authority. People are looking around right now. The world is leaderless, Tony, and that translates into the church. In many ways, the church appears to be leaderless. But listen, the bottom line is, to your leadership and mine, is the fact that we're following God. God is our captain. He's the captain of our souls, and people are turning. Our apologetic courses, by the way, at our church are exploding, and people want them online streamed in their homes. And I would say the final thing is, literally do the work of evangelist. You don't have to be an evangelist, but just tell somebody what God has done for you. My friend, if, if you don't have a testimony, you sure, better testimony. get one. The blood of the lamb and the, the word of their testimony. Exactly. If Christ has done a work in your life, you, you know it. Tell you someone. Tell someone. Don't bury it. 
you know, under the bushel or the basket. See, you just illustrated what I was going to point out. It's the truth. Yeah. The truth is what transforms. It's the truth that sets us free. It goes back to the pulpit. You're preaching the truth. Therefore, people are coming to the truth. They're making lifestyle decisions based upon the truth. The truth becomes the hub. And, And so it's so critical. We go back to the word of God and to that truth. That is what will transform our society. So we, even though these are hard truths, some people are offended by them. Some people call them hate speech. You know what? Yeah. We cannot shrink back no. from that. No. In fact, listen to this. I'm going to give you a verse, Tony, that people are going to think it's from the Old Testament. In your obedience, punish all disobedience, and then your obedience will be recognized. That's from 2 Corinthians 10, 6. The New Testament, meaning that we confront what's wrong because God's not confused about what's wrong and we cannot let our emotions get in the way of what is truth. So true. So true. Pastor Jack Hibbs, uh, we're out of time. I know you've got a book coming out, so we're going to get you to come back on to talk about the name of the book. Living in the Days of Deception. Ah, so appropriate. Yeah. So appropriate. Pastor Jack, always great to see you. Great to see you. Folks, I hope you will join us tomorrow for our national gathering for prayer and repentance. Text prayer to 67742. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.